0: Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you were able to listen to the first part of the broadcast with Dr. Teresa Burke, the founder of the Rachel's uh, Vineyard Ministry, uh, which is now a worldwide outreach to those impacted by abortion, women and men. Uh, Because we, we talked at length about... What abortion is, what it does, what are the what are the emotional and psychological dynamics, and some of the spiritual dynamics of it as well. And in this second part of our conversation, we're going to try to address disenfranchised grief and the trauma of abortion. These are big, big topics, but we'll give you a taste of where the um, where the research has gone, where the answers lie, and what you can be doing as a leader in the body of Christ. Dr. Burke, welcome back to Cradle My Heart Radio.
1: Uh, it's good to finish our conversation here.
0: <laughs> Teresa Burke is a licensed a clinical practitioner, psychotherapist, as well as the author of Forbidden Grief and other works. And uh, she has an emphasis on healing from, from grief Um, in many settings, and um, she's written with her husband, Kevin Burke, who's also a licensed clinical social worker. Dr. Burke, trauma is at the heart of abortion, whether we have experienced it as trauma or not. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I do believe it's trauma. And trauma is a relative term, as it were, because it depends on so many things, your history, your biochemistry even, um, your attachment at birth. There's so many things that can make our system sensitive, but everyone does experience the loss of a child or the potential to have a child in an abortion decision, and that's why even the most stalwart pro-choicers will say this was the most difficult decision of their life. And um, Whoopi Goldberg was even on, during this roe versus wade thing ranting do you think it's easy to have an abortion do you think it's easy like really upset yelling and then scolding all the people that own guns because they're killing children and she's sick of it so it was kind of like this big display of um a reactivity that that can lead to projection and blaming and um all sorts of things, but it doesn't cleanse us of our negative experiences when we're reacting all the time. And I think that that's what the culture today is reactive to everything. It's black or white. It's all or nothing. There's this extreme divisiveness In our culture. And the discourse and that fight or flight mode might protect us from unwanted emotions, but it's not going to eliminate our painful memories and feelings. The problems will erupt, but are swiftly concealed, not resolved. And so when we look at trauma, it's like people get stuck in these modes of survival, I'll call them. So if you're in the fight mode of survival, you're going to be out there picketing just about everything. You'll be going to Supreme Court justice's homes. You'll be making violent threats. You'll be thinking that that's all okay. And um, so I think when we recognize the symptoms of trauma... I don't mean I don't mean the symptoms, I mean the nervous system dysregulation because mm. the symptoms are like your depression, your suicidality, the intrusive thoughts, all that stuff, but it's really an attempt to regulate the nervous system and we're programmed by evolution our systems are hijacked even when we want to put on a certain face, and I'll call it these many faces of grieving, and you mentioned the word disenfranchised grief, and that's that's really when a person. Experiences a deep sorrow or a, a painful loss that can't be shared, nor can it be confronted, and I think that's why we call it disenfranchised grief because it means it's it's not allowed to do something, <laughs> um, or you're denied permission to openly display your grief. And in a culture where abortion has been defined as a right or health care, or you know, if you have if you have sadness about it, you're likely to be told, "Oh, it was nothing," and have another baby someday. And um, or in the other extreme, would be if someone's going to accuse you or or like, we, you know, accuse you or call you a murderer or something like that. That's going to trigger more shutdown, not open, not open dialogue about the experience. That's so that I would say it goes beyond words, and that's where with Rachel's vineyard. I saw very early in the first support groups that I ran that talking about this experience actually made people more physiologically aroused. Their voice would start to shake. They might feel sick to their stomach. They might have cramps in their stomach as their body remembers because trauma comes to us in and through our bodies. And so when we have that feeling of sickness or I got to get out of this room, I can't stand the way I feel, or people feel like all the eyes are on them and they start to feel paranoid a little bit because they don't want anyone to know their secret or they think everyone's going to see it if they're not careful. So it just leads to all these kind of odd behaviors and the um, the fight or flight response is characterized by first you feel frustration and then you feel irritation that escalates to anger then moves into rage and the fight response is a movement toward the threat with the feeling of I can fix this you know. If you can't solve that problem then we go higher up um, and these are These are like sympathetic nervous system responses. Um, The fight, the flight, uh, is where you're going to avoid and move away from, and that start that feels like uh, I feel worried and concerned. I feel tons of anxiety. I'm having fear, and that escalates into a full-blown panic attack. So these are the internal responses that that sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't see them when someone's in a survivor mode. So if they can't resolve Either that movement toward or away, then they go into the I can't freeze mode of this parasympathetic nervous system. And that looks like, feels like helplessness, like I can't fix this, uh, raised um, pain threshold. This is depression, numbness. It can result in dissociation and dissociative behaviors, which is where a lot of the addictions and eating disorders, drug abuse, um, endless watching of television, Numbing out on Netflix binging, you know. Um, sometimes shopping can be a dissociative. It's like where you're going to get your mind off and your body just kind of goes into this mindless where you're not really connected anymore. Problem with all these states is that people are not in the present moment and they're reacting to a past threat or a worry about a future threat. Mm -hmm. And so they're completely preoccupied. At the top of the, um, the top, the, the top of the worst, um, I guess, arousal that people's physiological body can go through would be the freeze. That's a complete collapse or immobility where you feel, you know, you feel frozen, you can't move. And even this replicates the state because people describe this years later. They still remember being on the abortion table, everything in them screaming, get off, get out of here. And yet the stress has completely immobilized them and they feel frozen on the table, unable to move and defend themselves. And then as they come down from that, there's always a feeling of shame, emotional shutdown, sense of hopelessness, a feeling of being trapped as an, even animals go through this because it's animal instinct as they prepare for death. They use the term, you play dead, and people can do that too. They can mm. be in their bed and like, I'm not moving, I can't get up. And um, they're not faking that, they're really immobilized, and it's just a trauma response. So I think that this is a very vicious Cycle. And what keeps people grounded, according to polyvagal theory, (laughs) is the social engagement. That's our connection of safety. So when you have a disenfranchised grief, when there isn't a funeral or a community service or a vigil or something that you can do, some kind of ritual that allows you to feel what you feel and express it and have other mourners supporting you, which is what our funerals are about, even with school shootings, you know regardless of anybody's faith, everybody's out in candlelight vigils because they know instinctually that this is bigger than us and we need help. And they're lighting candles and they say prayers and they, even if they're of no faith, because it's, there's nothing we can do with a tragedy that's happened or a really big traumatic event, except go to the author of life to heal the loss of life. But um, all this is gone in an abortion because it's such a it's such an isolated, secret event for most people, mm-hmm. and, um, and so that social engagement, that ability to be with others, and this is what we've tried to do in Rachel's Vineyard with a lot of rituals for grieving, and they, they look like different things. We use Judeo-Christian model, but there's things where we don't have the words to say what we need, so we light candles, and we do exercises, and there's many meditations, so there's... There's activities throughout the whole retreat that help to calm, soothe the nervous system. We have music, and the very fact that you're picking up, you're pouring water, you're, you know, doing doing many different things. This is sensory-based treatment. That's what a sensory-based treatment is, and that in itself keeps you grounded so you can do the work of grief and come in and out of it because if you were just to sit, it it would be intolerable. It would be You'd be too triggered to You'd go into a survivor mode probably. So by doing a little bit of work and pulling out and then resting with music and calming, soothing, lighting candles, pouring water, all these things that we do in our senses, that helps keep the nervous system um, steady so that we can complete the work of grief. Because a lot of people might go to counseling and then say, oh, this is too much. I won't be able to right get out of bed in the morning or go home and take care of my kids there's no way i'm going there and what does it do anyway it doesn't fix anything so they just say they stay stuck in this sort of a survivor mode of trying to manage all the symptoms and the triggers but never really crossing that bridge to the other side where they're able to find meaning in what's happened and um the and recognize. The love that they have, and allow the grieving to continue, and we all, with any kind of trauma, we all need to be able to find meaning in it, even if it's helping others, like mothers of drunk drivers. You know, how many of them don't go on to try to, you know, share their story, bring awareness to the issue, so because they say, if I could just prevent one kid from getting behind the wheel, or what, you know, and that that's the same thing in all these movements that have come out of healing, Um, the Silent No More, where the Silent No More Awareness campaign, that's people giving their testimonies. They say, if my child could save one mother from this tragedy because I'm speaking about the love I have for my child and my deep regret about it, it's all worth it. That's the meaning that's made. And I do believe that's had a huge amount to Mm -hmm. um, change this culture as the women's voices, the voice of experience, all the affidavits in in the thousands and well, thousands of affidavits you know, have been collected yes, by the and, lawmakers.
0: Uh, Doctor Teresa Burke is our guest from Rachel's Vineyard. She's the founder and she's a clinical psychotherapist, and she's talking about trauma and disenfranchised grief and the way to walk out a healing journey after an abortion experience. And you know, Doctor Burke, when you the telling of the stories, I think is um, so beneficial for the hearers. Because abortion still remains an abstraction. And a lot of that is because, you know, big abortion wants it that way. They don't want anybody to know what's actually happening. They don't want to know. They don't want people to know that there's a body count. You know, it's it's this still deception that, oh, it's not a baby yet, or whatever lie they're telling this week, you know. But back to where you began talking about the trauma that, you know, in your words, it's a loss. So, of course, it's going to be trauma. I mean, in, for me, it's like if you've been present when someone died, you're going to be traumatized. And I think it's harder sometimes, especially with the medical abortions um, or early abortions where anesthesia has been given, where a woman has no memory of of the experience, that, you know, this can just contribute to the numbing and the dissociation that you've mentioned. But uh, it's, you know, you're... The way that you've articulated it for us is very persuasive that anyone who tells you that abortion is not traumatic is simply uh, not informed. They're either ignorant or they have an agenda to try to uh, mask the trauma that's present there each and
1: every time. Yeah, you're so right about that. And just to add to the level of trauma, I want to share one more thing that I think is kind of critical for your listeners and for the world to even consider this. And that's the link between abortion and sexual abuse, previous sexual abuse. And if we look at the statistics, it's 55% of girls and 35% of boys experience some form of sexual abuse before the age of 18. And abuse of any kind, any kind at all, as well as the experience of abortion through coercion, abandonment, and betrayal, this is going to distort and disfigure our sacred human dignity. So survivors often struggle to feel safe, Protected or secure, and women with a history of sexual abuse are particularly vulnerable to coerced abortions. And I'm going to read to you just um, two little, two little stories from people who are reflecting about the link between their, um, the link between abortion and their history of sexual abuse. And we have to see this way, especially when women don't feel safe in their bodies. Many of these had abuse. And then there's another violence to their bodies, right,
0: in mm. abortion.
1: And um, there, there's so many dynamics. We don't have time to go into all of it, but there's a big link. Anyway, Susan shares, I came to see that my most deeply held belief was that there was not one single thing that I had that they could not take away. She's an incest survivor. And the more precious, the more central to my being it was, that much more they would defile it. That's an awful realization, whether the beloved is a stuffed bunny or the infinitely fragile core of one's physical and emotional being or the baby that one hopes to love. And it comes as a shock to find as an adult that you've been in pain your whole life and that far from feeling anything about the baby you got rid of, your grieving for it has drenched your life. And another victim shares, um, another comment. I love this one. Nothing happened to my body mattered. As an incest v- victim, I had absolutely no volition regarding the integrity of my body. Somebody wanted it and they took it, no matter what I wanted. In the case of my abortion, I had no understanding regarding the integrity of my body and spirit. It had misbehaved and it had to be corrected without any thought of how much that act would hurt me. But who could think that a new life nurtured inside the body as one flesh could be severed from that body and ended without causing lifelong grief and yearning? Only a woman who had no idea that her body or the spirit that infuses it or the sexuality that permeates it were connected or mattered a damn, and I was not alone, The common experience of the women in Rachel's Vineyard was the shock of the devastating feelings surrounding this act that was supposed to have no significance, as if our bodies and what they create have no significance, and as if we have no significance. Our experiences were all similar, and I think it's because there's a common value underlying incest and abortion and rape and promiscuity and our historic perception of sexuality, and it's an incredible callousness toward our own bodies and others' bodies. I just think that's so profound mm. I, in recognizing the devaluing of women.
0: Yes. And, well, I mean— the, And their children, That of the, course. That the opposite of love is, is using people, right? The predation involved in abortion, not only from the people who are performing the procedure— but from all the parties involved, just using bodies as if they're, you know, um, completely... Exposable. Yes, expendable. So, Dr. Teresa Burke, uh, we have not very much time remaining, but I want you to talk with the pastors and church leaders who may be listening about breaking through disenfranchised grief in your church, at the local church. Is it best to simply say, you know, if you have this trauma... Rachel's Vineyard is available so that you're not re-traumatizing people, or are there steps that the local church can take to become a safe place?
1: Actually, I, we don't want to judge. We just give an invitation to healing, and it's not enough um, pastors to— it's really not enough to give, even if you're a friend of someone, you're not a pastor and you're listening, it's not, an, it's not enough to offer once and hear them say, I don't need that. It's repeated invitations, repeated invitations. People will say that they got a brochure and they stuck it under their mattress and they left it there for five years. But the repeated invitation, because they deserve to heal, that this hurts, that we recognize how much it hurts, that our church stands behind you, that I stand behind you, <laughs> you know, um, however you want to communicate that, that they deserve it, because I think it as part of the disenfranch disenfranchisement, is is the belief that um, there is no healing for me. I chose this. I wanted this. And so all those other feelings can't even come up and be made conscious because there's just such a tight lid on it. So by the repeated invitations, you're sort of loosening the lid. You're you're putting some warm water on it. You're um, making making an environment so that they could come and talk to you about it because you're not going to judge them. You're not accusing them of, of you know, traumatizing other people, that, that we understand this is a really hard road and that the trauma can go on for a lifetime. And um, I know for a fact that when I teach in hospitals, people who work in hospice say this is a front and center issue. People are terrified to go into um death without reconciliation. And they might have been able to postpone it, avoid the issue their whole life, justify it. But that's where the rubber meets the road as they're dying of cancer and other illnesses. And it's a real need. We have Rachel's Vineyard sites who even go to hospital beds and do abbreviated versions just to help that person feel some um, some peace and comfort that the child's there waiting to receive them on the other side.
0: Mm, what a comforting thought. And I, I know that The Rachel's Vineyard model is infused with scripture. Um, You have something called Living Scriptures, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that, maybe the inspiration you had for that, um, as well as how it plays out uh, when people come to experience it.
1: Well, Living Scriptures are the meditation exercises where we turn off the lights and we read a scripture and then we go into a meditation where you're part of the story. So we live it out and we actually act it out, act it out by responding like a Lazarus. They name the parts of themselves that have died because of sin, their own and that of other, that other people have placed upon them. And um, they they'll wrap their wedding ring. You know, they name the parts their womb, their mouth if they've been able haven't been able to speak about it. And then then Martha and Mary grieve and they weep because. They knew their friend Lazarus was, um, you know, dead. And But before he died, they were begging the Lord to come back. And so when he comes on the scene three days late, they say, Lord, if you had been here, our sisters and brothers would not have died. If they hadn't lost sight of you, their children would not have died. And we grieve and we weep. And there's a very beautiful moment where the pastor present Weeps over all the deadness that he sees because he's the God of life and he came that we make have life. And as he looks before him, everybody's wrapped in their burial cloths, right? And he's heard all their stories. And so he's crying. And this is the first time that people might have an experience of a compassionate God. A lot of them say, Oh, I've the, done the unforgivable sin or that, you know doesn't matter he hates me or i hate him you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but to to have an encounter in this very tangible visceral way with god's mercy in the meditation in the dark after they've you know bound their their bodies in this burial cloth and um nobody's tied up but it's just a symbol of the wrappings and um and uh then to have an opportunity to profess because facilitator would would come to each person and um they're invited to say that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that in him there is no death. Do you believe this? And they're invited to say whether they believe or not. And they're told to just say what you feel like. I want to believe or I'm scared to believe, you know. And then in the name of Jesus, Son of the Living God, um, they are unbound and set free. And it's an experience. So all the living scriptures are an experience of God grieving with them, inviting them to fill their um their wounds with his holy presence and it, it works beautifully in fact it works so well I started um, two other retreats that I wrote one is a week-long program for healing abuse of any kind and the other is called duty to heal finding peace for a soldier's heart uh, which is for the moral and spiritual injury of combat veterans and those programs are both up and running grief to grace is pretty much um, spreading around the world <laughs> and many sites in the United States and duty to heal we've established our training center in Houston Texas
0: Wow so uh, I, I know people listening will be intrigued to learn more about that and the website is rachelsvineyard.org org and our guest is dr. Teresa Burke the founder of the ministry as well as a clinician with a heart to see women and men healed and to see an end to this um, culture of death around abortion. Uh, You have about a minute remaining, and I'll give it to you for um, an admonition, an exhortation, encouragement, whatever you would like to say, uh, especially to those who are in leadership listening today.
1: Well, Kim, I think you used a good word at the beginning, that this is really a battle for our nation, for the hearts and souls of families and, um, we just ask for vision and revelation as we, as we try to confront this issue that's affecting so many people. And we just ask the Lord Jesus to burn his presence in our souls to be the warm firelight where we can gather with other warriors <laughs> in this battle and a pilgrimage to really rekindle the flame of God's Spirit and truth within our own hearts. So, um, the Lord knows the need. And, I just invite everybody to open your heart to this issue. Let it be a talking um, point. Create a sacred, safe place for people to come to you and get more information as we encourage them to take the next step. It's very terrifying to go back and look at trauma, um, but to get out of the survivor mode and into life and the present moment is really where we all need to be, especially
0: in these days oh amen thank you so much Dr. Teresa Burke from Rachel's Vineyard you can learn more at our website at cradlemyheart.org this is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Catola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts please get in touch with Kim find out more at cradlemyheart.org you can listen to the podcast on all platforms